Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. That's yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. Well, you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, and I'll say it to you now. I'm down to Anfield, and we'll see them all. What you doing down here, you surely man? Owen Murphy and Ken here for the first Irish Times Second Gap Football Podcast of the new season. Only one game gone, but for some, the pre-season predictions already lie in ruins. I'm afraid to last week's podcast when Ken Early here plumped for Arsenal as champions. And after much, well, on my part, much prodding and probing, he didn't really want to give a prospective player of the season. But you'll remember Murphy who Ken eventually went for? Peter Cech on. It was indeed <clears throat> Peter Cech. Unfortunately, um, 43 minutes in. It looks like Czech's Player of the Year gong is out the window anyway. And well, are Arsenal's <laughs> aspirations gone too? Well, there's still time, aren't there? <laughs> yeah, there is time. 37 more games to go for Arsenal. Mm-hmm. Um, rooted uh, on zero points at the moment. Uh, Petr Cech let in two bad goals. It was probably the worst performance he's ever given in <laughs> his entire time in English football. First one coming for a ball he probably wasn't going to get. Could maybe share the blame for that one with his central defenders who showed very little interest in heading that ball away. Second one, a really bad goal. Uh, completely caught by surprise uh, by a Zerate shot from 25 yards that went into almost the middle of the goal with everybody... Without a huge amount of power. ...looking on in horror. Well, actually, I think it was a, it was a fairly smartly hit shot, but there's absolutely no way it should actually end up going in. It's just... It's not, it's not really in the corner. It's just a sort of speculative... Shot that completely took the bovine uh, Petr Cech by surprise. It's one of those that normally makes the keeper work. Yeah. But in this case, the keeper didn't work Not quite swiftly enough. Yeah, yeah I mean, the, the, the keeper should be able to get that. So, yeah, I mean, it was a full-spectrum Arsenal performance, really. Uh, the new signing turning to dust. <laughs> uh, domina- uh, complete domination of the ball without any real penetration. Uh, losing to uh, a London rival at home on the first day of the season, just to, and the whole place booing Arsene Wenger. <laughs> the whole place <laughs> booing. I thought, oh no. Um, but on the plus side, I thought they played quite well. I mean, leaving aside the as what Arsene Wenger calls um, accidents, we will respond to these accidents. Uh, the players were maybe too nervous, put too much pressure on themselves. I thought they actually played well. It was just unfortunate they had only two goals and didn't score any. 
That is true. That is unfortunate. Jordan I played for Liverpool yesterday, but he may never play for the England senior team if Nigeria's manager Sunday Olise has his way. Olise has been hanging around Anfield trying to persuade Ibe to declare for Nigeria, the country of, I think, it's his father's birth. Now, the story itself, to be honest, it's almost incidental to the identity of our contributor in this one. Remember this clip, anyone? Coach, you wanted victory. This is the game you wanted victory, but it didn't happen. What happened? Well, I wanted victory. I want victory for every game, but today's game, uh, this is for football. You look frustrated on the pitch. You look frustrated on the pitch during the play there. Where do you where do you think you got it all wrong today? Well, it's just yes, indeed. That was Stephen Keshi, then Nigeria manager, being grilled. Of course, you remember the clip because we played it about a hundred times during the 2014 World Cup in one of our all-time favorite grilling type interviews. Well, hold on to your earphones, folks. We tracked down the man asking the questions. His name is Oluwashina Okaliji. He works for the BBC in Nigeria and he will be on this show today. That's this is journalism. true. This is all true. That's journalism on. Unbelievable. Uh, it's pretty big news. I mean, it, We're going to have to ask him about Keshi as well, aren't we? Well. Coach. Yeah, I think we will. I think we'll we find out. We'll, we'll finally get to the bottom of Stephen Keshi. Because Stephen Keshi, every time, it seemed like every time I turned on the internet, he'd either been <laughs> sacked or had returned to the the job mm. and it was it became quite difficult to know what was going on I have to say it was difficult to know what was going on so we will uh, hopefully get to the bottom of that time now for Kennedy's report on sport so yeah it wasn't it wasn't a good um, beginning uh, for Arsenal this season but it wasn't great for Chelsea either I mean Chelsea got a, a right good pasting off Swansea at home uh, yeah but that was the physio's fault well, yeah, it was. The, I mean, we'll get to the physio. Oh, don't worry, on we'll deal with her. But, uh, but I mean, it was you know it was two two at home to Swansea. This is a, a game they would have expected to win very easily. Uh, I mean, they beat Swansea five 0 last season. Um, it's it should really. It sounds like it should be a banker for Chelsea, and it wasn't like that at all. Swansea were actually much the better team. Um, you know, I mean, why is this? You, you, you kind of look at it and go, well, Chelsea, of course, had that preseason tour. They were off in America. Jose Mourinho wanted the players all to have long holidays. You know, they haven't had much training. Blah, blah, blah. Actually, Swansea are packed full of really good players and played Chelsea off the pitch. That's what happened. Um, West Ham, who beat Arsenal, largely did so because they also have a bunch of really good players. What is happening here? All of these um, no-hoper teams in the Premier League are suddenly pretty good. Yeah, it's one of those things that happens on the first day of every season. Maybe I just took my eye off the ball pre-season, Ken. Mm. But I had not realised that Johan Kabay, uh, a player who a few years ago would have probably be considered uh, one of the more talented players in the Premier League, yeah. certainly a guy who has the ability to make a serious impact on a, on a half-decent team, is playing for Crystal Palace. Palace. They can afford Johan Kabay. They not only can they afford Johan Kabay, but they can. That, that, but Johan Kabay chooses to join them ahead of Roma. Roma are saying, "Oh, you know, Johan, listen, uh, how about coming to play for us?" And he's like, "Well, no, not a chance. I mean, I get to go join Palace. <laughs> There's no I contest." Just, I hope that he just presented it like that. Listen, Roma, Crystal Palace are in for me, so yeah, you know, I, I mean, I don't have to say anything more, do I? I mean, it's Crystal Palace, the Eagles of Selhurst Park, you know. I mean, they have this corner in the ground, right, Roma, uh, that make loads and loads of noise. So really, for me, this one's a bit of a no-brainer. But you know, the, like and that uh, corner, of fans pay a lot of money for their tickets. If you saw Andre Ayew <laughs> playing for Swansea against Chelsea, the guy is absolutely brilliant. 
he is, he reminds me a bit of a more skillful Tim Cahill. He is like a hard as nails, super athletic, really skillful, really lively, tactically intelligent player who is going to, I think, do brilliantly in the Premier League. I mean, he maybe Swansea won't have him for much longer than the season, but they should have him for a season. Mm. They've got a really fantastic team uh, together. And so this is kind of happening when you, when you look around the league. Stoke were playing against Liverpool. They've got Ibrahim Afele. Now, I'm not saying Ibrahim Afele is a, is, a, is a great player, but he is a big name, a comparatively big name. Or he would be if he hadn't wasted his career by joining Barcelona and never playing for them. Like, he literally wasted four and a half years of his career. Uh, he went out on loan for Barcelona a couple of times, but it's a bit of a... He's been playing, on average, what, 15 to 20 games a season for the last four years, which should have been the best years of his career. But here he is now at Stoke. Stoke are not a club that previously would have been able to get players... From Barcelona, even Barcelona. Um, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I haven't quite made the grade of Barcelona, so I'm now going to join Stoke. But they've gotten two now in, in actually three, isn't it? Munyesa as well, but Bokan Kurkic, Munyesa, and Afele, all all now at Stoke City. So this is a kind of a, it's a process, I suppose, that has been happening ever since that new TV deal came in at the start of 2013, but it's we're really beginning to feel the effects of it now. And I think when you look at Arsenal and Chelsea, these bad results they had, Liverpool had a struggle as well, they got a good result in the end. But it has, I think that there's going to be a lot of these games, there's going to be a lot of difficult games. It's what the Premier League have boasted about for years, but I haven't actually thought has existed maybe up until now. This idea that oh, on any given day, Liverpool can lose, or Manchester United, Chelsea can lose to whoever it might be. Generally speaking, the teams in the last number of years have still finished. The teams that win the league still finish usually with a very high points total. But Mourinho, in fairness, pre-season and maybe other managers said that they don't think that's going to be the case this year. That actually now there is proper competitiveness. I, th- I really do there. think. I mean, we'll still you... presumably be the same big four. I mean, we're, not, we're not talking about Swansea as a big four team, are we? Well, maybe. I seriously think so. Absolutely. Careful with the predictions. Well, look, I mean, you've got Arsenal. today really the day again? <laughs> no, seriously, I was looking at, I was thinking this is, they're playing brilliant football here. They're absolutely brilliant. I mean, the only problem with the team was probably Gomez. And I mean, I said Gomez was a problem. Gomez kind of directly contributed to the first goal, scored the second. Didn't play that badly. Just missed I just think that he's a bit, I don't think he's quite the, um, Destroy. I don't think he's of the same class as some of the players behind him in the midfield. I mean, John Joe Shelby, well, I thought was incredible. Mm-hmm. I mean, absolutely amazing. The, the range of passing that he was showing, the kind of arrogance that he had. He's playing against Maddich here. Maddich is supposed to be a but how good dominant player. Shelby, if John Joe Shelby was that good, surely he'd, he'd be marauding around the Liverpool midfield. Well, he couldn't do it for Liverpool. But now he's but he's been at Swansea now for how long? Two Two years? It's kind of interesting, isn't it? That, that, and I know that you were making a similar point in your column this morning, but that John Joe Shelby joins Liverpool at 18 and then is shipped out as a failure yeah. at 21 and has to wear this, this this albatross around his neck. That couldn't cut it. John couldn't, Joe cut, couldn't it cut it at it. Liverpool. When really, surely the idea is that, that at 24, 25, 26, you find out how good this guy is, not at 18, 19, 20, and that rather than it being this millstone around his neck, it's like... I just shouldn't have gone to Liverpool in the first place. It yeah. doesn't make any sense for me to go to Liverpool at 18 to try and make your way in a in a team where that you're that you know you're not at that moment. You're, you're not at that level yet. Yeah. There's no point in you trying to do that. You're not. You're gonna. You're gonna be exposed. You're not actually good enough to play for a team like that now. I mean, okay, 
he, maybe if he played a bit better, he would have been, I suppose. But, you know, it's the, it's the problem that young players have with all these clubs. Remember we were talking about Mourinho last week, so oh, 10 minutes is enough. Before him, 10 minutes probably is enough. If, you, if, if you're the manager of Chelsea, you are talking about players of such a high level that you probably can't tell within 10 minutes whether this guy can cut it or not in your team. And most, play, most players within 10 minutes of a debut are not going to show you anything. I mean, Steven Gerrard talks about his debut for Liverpool. I think he only got to play a couple of minutes, but, you know, he's, he's terrified. All he does is, like, punt the ball into the, into the stand, you know, shanks across. That's it. You know, he, he's, he's, he's shaking with fear. This guy goes on to become one of the you know, best players in the Premier League. Um, most guys are, are a bit like that. I mean, you get, you get an exception like Cristiano Ronaldo, someone like that, who's ridiculously good immediately. But most players are a bit more like Gerard, or dare I say, John Joe Shelby. Mm. John Joe Shelby had three years at Liverpool, wasn't able to convince anyone that he was good enough. But now he's 23, he's played a couple of full seasons for Swansea. And uh, actually, you know, he's, he's looking pretty handy. I mean, <laughs> you know, Gary Monk... Has um, has been talking about. Uh, he was talking about Shelby yesterday, or not yesterday, Sunday again. He was he was referring back to the little rocket that he gave him, which I had to remind myself what it was. But he was essentially calling him lazy, saying he was lazy and gave away cheap bookings. And I, he, it meant he's like you know he goes into tackles in a lazy way. He gets booked. I have to take him off. I actually can't risk having that guy in the field. That's that's his problem, by the way, not mine. I shouldn't have to worry about that. So if he's going to do it, I can't actually put him in the field. And he's, he seems to be saying the same thing with uh, Shelby. You know, essentially, you've got to... One a big thing with Shelby was you've got to lose some weight. You're fat. This isn't good enough. And uh, Shelby... <laughs> Shelby doing his, doing his best to address this problem. Uh, actually, during the summer, advertised for a chef. Um, do you want to hear the, sh- the ad? Yeah. Um, Personal chef. Our client, a top-level sports professional is looking for a private chef to join their household in Swansea. You must have some previous private chef experience. Uh, this will be to cook for the resident couple and their family, two to seven people, working on a roto basis over seven days. You must have a large repertoire within different cuisines. As private chef, you will also need experience, knowledge of sports nutrition, healthy, high-performance meals, sports nutrition, healthy and well-balanced meals to provide a varied diet. Also, knowledge in healthy, balanced, performance-enhancing food <laughs> with focus on quality ingredients and dietary requirements of sportsmen, which, for example, includes a no-carbs evening restriction. Uh, there is no accommodation provided with this position, therefore you must be located within a commutable distance of Swansea. Is that a bit mean? If you're going to have a cook living in your house, don't you usually at least provide servants' quarters? How much do you think he's paying this private chef? Oof. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know what the going rate is. Well, what would you do it for? Oh, I wouldn't do. I wouldn't get out of bed for less than fifty grand a year. So a grand a week. Okay. And what, what about you? Um, Could you outbid him on that? Well, I'd refuse. I'd refuse the, the, the nonsensical job description. You wouldn't. Do no it. carbs in the evening. What about yeah. what about the good carbs? What about a bit of whole grain rice? He's a sportsman, and he doesn't eat. He doesn't Sports eat junk food. Carbs. Junk food. He doesn't eat junk. Uh, well, we're not talking about you know monster munch here. I mean, sure, I wouldn't be feeding him. I wouldn't be putting Monster Munch in any of his Listen, it sounds after. like it's not going to work out with you and no, John, just to be honest. I mean, no. if, this, if this is his opening habit, you ask him how much I just want to give him a steamed potato starts later on. He yeah. starts lecturing you about carbs. But you do I mean, it You do it for 50, 50 Gs. Wouldn't do it well, for he, well, John Joe Shelby is offering 60 to 65 grand sterling plus bonuses. 57 and a half, John Joe, and we'll call it a deal. <laughs> 
Um, I drive a hard bargain, Ged. Look, the the the, um, the effects of it seem to be uh, seem to be impressive. You know, he's uh, he's the the central player of what looks like a really strong team. Whether they can get top four, I'm not I'm not sure, but. Based on how well they did against Chelsea, they have every chance. The problem is, I suppose, they'll eventually run out of power. They can't compete necessarily with a team like Liverpool. Like, I mean, Liverpool are... Are Liverpool going to finish in the top four? No one necessarily knows. Can Liverpool field three different three-man forward lines that each cost more than £50 million? Yes, they can. Yes, Liverpool Football Club have three entirely different three-man forward lines, each of which cost at least £50 million. Uh, they could play, for instance, Origi, Benteke and Coutinho. That goes over £50 million. Mm-hmm. They could play Firmino, Sturridge and Ibe. Or Balotelli, I should say. Balotelli, that costs over £50 million. And they could play Lalana, Ings and Markovic. Another £50 million plus forward line. right? And then they'd still have Jordan Ibe sitting on the bench. So that's what you call too many players. But it's also a problem for Swansea City. In that, you know, if I don't know if they've necessarily got three separate teams... You know, of, of almost of indistinguishable quality uh, to come in. So, so that's the reason why maybe they won't finish uh, in the top four. But uh, Mourinho, as you, you mentioned, Owen, the, uh, the the big problem, the, the thing that went wrong for Chelsea, and that was the medical staff. Uh, Chelsea's medical staff uh, lost their own themselves and treating uh, injured players. They ran <laughs> onto the field and uh, apparently, uh, uh, in the naive belief that a Chelsea player who was down. And looked injured towards the end of a match in which Chelsea were trying grimly to hang on for a point. Might actually be injured. That was the, that apparently is the, the mistake that they're guilty of, according to Jose Mourinho. Running onto the field to try and treat a player they thought was injured simply because he was down on the ground and appeared to be injured. Mourinho's like, I knew that guy wasn't injured. He says, uh, I wasn't happy with my medical staff. Even if you are a medical doctor or secretary on the bench, you have to understand the game. And he's saying this about Eva Eva Carnero is the is the doctor. She's the one who who ran onto the field. Uh, Mourinho's lecturing her, suggesting that she doesn't understand the game. If you go to the pitch to assist a player, you must be sure a player has a serious problem. I was sure Eden didn't have a serious problem. He had a knock. And he was very tired. So the reason that Mourinho was annoyed is because having gone on to treat Eden Hazard, that meant he had to then leave the field before he could come back on, which meant that Chelsea, who'd already had a man sent off, were down to eight outfield players for a particular situation. And, you know, you know Marino thought that was an acceptable level of risk. Um, I, I really i am surprised that Mourinho would, would do this. Yeah, it annoys me. Funny enough, the, when Mourinho slags off Arsene Wenger, right, mm. I, I, I kind of think, well, you know, Wenger's signed up for this. Maybe he... he Jose Mourinho wasn't on the scene when Arsene Wenger began his, began his management career, but he earns a lot of money. He's got a certain status at his club and a certain status within the sport. And you're going to take some flack and you're going to have to deal with with these kind of jibes from other managers from time to time. It's when Mourinho starts taking up with his own medical staff, The when he started making stuff up uh, around the Petr Cech, Stephen Hunt incident, mm. started saying that the ambulance took whatever it was amount of time to arrive and then the London ambulance put out a statement and said, well, this is absolutely untrue. Here's actually what happened. Mm. When he starts taking on people who actually have different jobs, but were, the job, they happen to be performing their tasks within the realm of football, and he he says something negative about them. I don't know. I find that a little bit more low than slagging off Benitez or... When he picks on someone his own size. Yeah, there's a certain element of that with Benitez and, and other managers. Yeah. It's uh, a little like he kind of forgets it, that sometimes people have jobs that have nothing to do with football. And 
it's not even so much nothing to do with football. It's like their actual job is in football. Yeah, but it's yeah. not. It's 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 not a it's not a football. I mean. Uh, Their jobs are actually important. Yeah, the Chelsea, like the, <laughs> the Chelsea jobs that doctors and ambulance people yeah, have are Chelsea, actually quite important. They took a Hippocratic oath. <laughs> you know, we should probably remind ourselves: someone's in pain, but maybe I should just check with Jose to see if this is in the playbook or not. You know, it's, I mean, like, it's kind of strange. Someone better get down there and explain offside to her. Uh, is I think Mourinho's take on Ava Carnero, who writes on her Facebook: "I would like to thank the general public for their overwhelming support." Really very much appreciated. Well, that's a classy way of dealing with it. So having, having been uh, brought under fire by her boss, uh, she's saying at least uh, it seems like people out there uh, see that she was just trying to do her job. Um, Chelsea have uh, Manchester City next up. Difficult. Um, four o'clock on Sunday. Man City, of course, playing tonight. That's when they get their season underway. They're trying to sign Kevin De Bruyne. Apparently now the fee's gone up to like 48 million. Um... Crazy uh, sums of money for this guy. It'd be interesting if he was to make his debut against Chelsea, who of course sold him for eighteen million um, two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's that's a big one to look forward to for the weekend. But uh, the other thing happening over the weekend, what was there was uh, well, there was there was a few things, but one of them was uh, Manchester United actually starting the season with a win, a win that looked unlikely right up until the moment at which they scored. Uh, because Tottenham had managed to create a few chances and then suddenly Kyle Walker scored an own goal and it was just plain sailing from that point for, for Manchester United. But the interesting kind of thing about this was the occasional shots in the crowd of the three goalkeepers, the three Manchester United goalkeepers, uh, David De Gea, Victor Valdez and Anders Lindegaard all sitting there, you know, not even on the bench, just watching this Sergio Romero. What must that feel like for Romero? Romero's the, the great. You think? Oh yeah. Maybe it. Maybe it would. I don't know. I just feel it. I imagine it brings an extra sort of touch of pressure as well. Here's De Gea, Valdez, and Lindegaard all sitting there scrutinizing my performance. Um, he actually did okay. I suppose he made a couple of saves. There was a couple of moments I thought when Sergio's going to play some ball this year. Yeah. You know, Sergio's gonna. He's. There's, he's not really going to get a whole lot of enjoyment out of just, you know, saves, making Making immediate decisions. Yeah. He sometimes likes to maybe toy with the onrushing forward a little bit. Mm. Keep them guessing a little bit right up until that last second <laughs> when he when he releases the ball out for a throw-in <laughs> next to his own corner flag. You know what? You know what the, f- the fans are going to really love this. That's the Sergio's <laughs> ticket, you know. Yeah. Uh, brighten up their day a little. It's the entertainment business. Yeah. <laughs> We're in the entertainment business. Got to try and sell some tickets. So, uh, so yeah, that was that was it. So it was all in all, um, not too many amazing games on the weekend. But I don't know some promising signs. I think on about the, about the some, you know, if if some of these, uh, if you can get to, and Newcastle, we didn't mention Newcastle against Southampton. Uh, Southampton are the see here's here's an example. I mean, Tadic for Southampton is the kind of player who imagine a player like him playing for a club like that in the past you know he's a ridiculously good player now he can't even get in at one of the top clubs so here he is at Southampton Newcastle have half half their team is like Dutch internationals now one of whom uh, scored for them but you know it's um, if they can actually keep up this sort of quality if they you know I'm talking about the middle ranking teams here rather than the top ones then it could be a really good season that's the end of Kennerly's report on sport Flame hair, flame hair, flame throw of truth, Mr. Ken Early. Mr. Ken Early. Mr. Ken Early. Mr. Ken Early.
Every so often, I'm on the bus and I suddenly turn around and bite someone. John Hayes, I'm talking about, Owen. Yeah. John Hayes. Now, I always thought that was ridiculous. He had won the victory over himself. He loved Brendan Rogers. That's where it goes from. Thanks a lot, Pepe. Fair to say, anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. Let me show you right now for you give it up. Don't forget, we have got a very special guest a little bit later on in this podcast. The man who interviewed Stephen Keshi. Coach! That's the man who interviewed Stephen Keshi uh, during the World Cup in 2014. We've played the clip often enough. It's time to talk to the man himself, or will be certainly, after we chat to Jonathan Wilson about Swansea City, who are going to be pushing for a top four finish, according to Ken here. Jonathan, they were superb against Chelsea anyway. Uh, midfield particularly impressed Ken, I know. Uh, how They seem to have really assembled a bunch of players of really amazing quality. Yeah, I think that's right. And uh, I think John Joe Shelby was excellent on Saturday. I think the two wingers, Montero and I, both played really well. Gommi, I think, was uh, played more intelligently than I've seen him play before. You know, I think he, he's he's clearly got great physical attributes, maybe not the best finisher, but his movement was very good as well. Uh, Ashley Williams you know, has been one of the better centre-backs in the league for a couple of years, I think. So, I mean, I, I guess that's why every club who gets promoted says, you know, Swansea the model we want to follow because they've... They've got their scouting clearly pretty much bang on and, and um, they've worked out the financial side of, of pushing things just as far as they, they can go. And of course, in, in that, they're benefited by the huge advantage Premier League clubs now enjoy over the rest of the world. Yeah, and I mean, it's so a club like Swansea can have several players who, you know, certainly on their day, would walk into the Chelsea team. I mean, it was almost as though man for man in midfield, they were, they were better than Chelsea. But if you look across, around the league... You kind of see this pattern beginning to be repeated. You know, Newcastle United uh, had a pretty bad season last year. They've got you know all these Dutch international players. Uh, you've got uh, Johan Kabai playing in midfield for Crystal Palace. Roma tried to sign him, but he decided to join Palace instead. You've got Payet at West Ham. Um, you know, guys who couldn't quite make it at Barcelona now playing for Stoke City. Uh, everybody, these little uh, Premier League teams have actually become pretty strong in the last couple of seasons. There's some serious strength and depth in the league now. Yeah, I think, I think the Premier League's middle class is, is as strong as it's ever been. And you know, On the one hand, that, that's, that's great. For those of us who, who watch our football in England, it, it's, yeah, it's great to see these players. Um, and, you know, I mean, the, the, the IU deal to Swansea, I mean, it's reported they paid, um, it was a free transfer, but it's reported they paid £5.7 million pounds, um, as a signing on fee. Now, I, I can't imagine Ayu has, I mean, even though he weirdly has a middle name Morgan, I can't believe Ayu at any stage of his career, up until the moment at which Swansea contacted him, thought, you know what, I really, really want to play for Swansea. That's a move that's clearly financially motivated for him. Yeah, he, he, when, once he decided he was letting his contract at Marseille run down, he could have gone to, all right, maybe not a Barcelona or Real Madrid or a Bayern, but a whole raft of, yeah, let's say Liverpool grade clubs across Europe. And he, he decided to go to Swansea, presumably partly because he liked Gary Monk and he liked the look of the setup, but mainly because they could actually pay him more than a Serie A team, for instance. So that that is this this huge advantage Premier League teams enjoy. And while it's great for us watching it here, I, part of me you know thinks it's it's slightly sad that um, you know, the the agglomeration of wealth and the agglomeration of resources means that you look at I mean PSV for instance last season were were fantastic in the Dutch league last year I think there was only only five games they failed to win and in in times gone by I mean even sort of 
I guess you look back to the Porto team, Mourinho took to the Champions League as, as an equivalent side, maybe. Um, the, you know, even 10 or 12 years ago, I was, what, 2004, wasn't it, Porto won They had a, a crack at the Champions League, a proper crack at it, with a good side that hadn't been broken up. Yeah. And immediately, PSV lose one album to not to Manchester United as they lost Memphis to Pi, which is you know, makes sense, but to Newcastle, a team who finished what sixteenth in the league last season. Well, why not? I mean, this strikes me as as being. I, I wonder if back in Serie A in the eighties and nineties, there were people kind of uh, you know appearing uh, on radio uh, programs saying, "I feel, I just feel really sorry for the great uh, Blackpool." The, the club of Stanley Matthews uh, can't get anyone these days because all the guys are, you know, all the guys are going to like Lazio or, or you know, sort of ditty Italian teams like Verona. I mean, in in the nineteen eighties, you had Preben Elkiar playing for Verona, you had Zico playing for Udinese, um, and the result was uh, a, an absolute golden age of football in Serie A. I mean, you know, it's regarded as one of the greatest periods of any league that any any leagues ever had. Do you think maybe? The, the flip side of this, you know, it's, it's a pity, you know, to see poor Marseille losing all their best players, for instance. But the flip side might be a kind of a golden age of Premier League football. It might be. Um, I mean, I, I guess there's then a frustration that there's such a reluctance to take the Europa League seriously when, you, I mean, you look at, if Swansea can play that well against Chelsea, it, uh, you know, you think that they, you know, were they in the Europa League, they, they should be able to sort of stroll through to the quarter-final and yet that wasn't the case so I think there's a frustration of Premier League clubs uh, in that middle class that they still seem to have that anxiety about relegation that they're not prepared to do you know, what Sevilla do and, and, and prioritise a competition they can actually win but I, I think also there is a difference now to Serie A in the 80s uh, and part of the reason you had Zico turning up with Udinese or Elkia at Verona uh, or even Maradona at Napoli I guess is that you had a restriction on foreigners, so you could only have three foreigners per club, uh, and that meant they're more evenly distributed. Whereas it seems to me the reason that the Premier League middle class is, is sort of flexing its muscles now is this increasing, and I think it is happening faster and faster, more and more, uh, the increasing disparity of wealth. So you have Real Madrid, Barcelona, and Bayern Munich at the absolute top. Then you have the top sort of three or four Premier League clubs. And then what's next is the next tier of Premier League clubs. And everybody knows that Andre I would say, if he has a great season at Swansea this season, is he going to be there next year? No, he's going to move up to, the, you know, to, to a Liverpool or to a Manchester United. And so you never get any stability at any club. You, I think it becomes very, very difficult for fans to, to really identify with, with, um, with players anymore because you know that in two or three years he'll be off. And for those clubs who... For those fans who don't support teams who are among the absolute elite, you know, the, the dream, which maybe was a distant dream anyway, you know, the dream just doesn't exist anymore. The, the dream of actually kind of putting together a great team of players, you know, young players from your area or you know, players you scout cleverly with an with a inspirational, innovative young manager, it just doesn't happen because immediately... The, you know, the, the 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 bigger clubs higher up the, the ladder come and pluck your players away. So you know, we've 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 seen this with Atletico Madrid. We've seen it with, with Dortmund. These sides who we 
you know, we sort of get very excited about it. So, oh, isn't it brilliant? They're doing it on no budget at all. And, you know, Dortmund are, what, the ninth richest club in the world? I like Madrid, the 11th or something. Yeah, they, they're not minnows, and yet they seem like minnows compared to those, you know, the, the, the top sort of half dozen or so. Although, has that not been the case since even the 1990s when Ajax were something similar? I mean, they were the top team in Europe for a couple of years there, uh, and ultimately they became a selling club. It's just that the destination of where the club sell to has changed. No, I mean, I, I take the point, but I think it is just happening quicker than it's ever happened before. So, you know, Ajax, you know, they, they win the Champions League in 95, they get to the final in 96. So, although they lost a couple of players, they still had that base there. And the fact that Ajax could actually win the Champions League, I mean, it, it, is, it, is it even possible for a side outside of England, Spain or Germany, okay, Juve got relatively close last year, to, to win the Champions League? I, I'm just not sure it is. I think it had Juve won it last season... Juve, you know, 30, 31 or 33, depending which, which county you take, Serie A titles, the most successful team in Italian history. And we're talking about that as a great underdog fairy story. And the, the agglomeration of wealth at the top, I don't think has anything, ever been anything like this. And the, the other problem of that is the, the enormous imbalance within, within other leagues. So, you know, Bayern Munich were, I think, 10 to 1 on to win the, or are 10 to 1 on to win the Bundesliga this season. And to be honest, that seems to me quite a good bet. You know, that seems to be a good way of getting a ten percent return on an, on an investment. Um, and yeah, how long does that remain interesting? How long is do the Bundesliga games have any significance to to Bayern fans? And yeah, PSG last season had a had a dreadful start of the season, and they still win the French league in a canter. Um, and it's very hard to see anybody other than Bayern or PSG ever winning those leagues. And I think the the structures of, of power now, um, they're, they're self-perpetuating in a way that perhaps they weren't before. And, and so I think that's, that's the worrying thing, that the, it, it becomes very, very difficult to, to see how anybody outside of that top four or five can ever win anything. And then you know, it's, it becomes very hard to see how, how any club can ever challenge a Premier League, from outside the Premier League, can ever challenge a Premier League club again. All right, Jonathan, we'll leave it there. Thanks a million. Cheers, thanks. Just go back on Jonathan's point there that the English teams should really start looking at the Europa League, given that it is a European competition mm-hmm. and the, the mid-ranking teams should be able to, as he says himself, going to walk through it now if they were to put all their resources into it. How realistic is that, though? Well, they should be, but they the problem that they have is where someone like, say a team like Sevilla, who have won the competition four times since 2006 and are the record holders in that competition, have kind of built a whole European reputation in winning this competition repeatedly. When they play their Europa League game, whatever, they go, they fly over, fly out to Germany or Russia or whatever, trounce the opposition, come back. Then they play on the weekend against some little team with a budget of a million euros a year. They play, they play against these little teams in the Spanish league um, who don't have any, you know, who don't have resources. Whereas, for instance, West Ham, who literally just threw themselves out of the Europa League. I mean, you can't, it's, you can't suggest that they actually threw the game to get out of there. But they certainly, I don't, I think they played a lot better against Arsenal. It was as though the Arsenal game was a lot more important to them than the one, uh, it was in Romania, I think. To, to, they got knocked out of the Europa League just a few days before. So... They have to, when they uh, play the Europa League game, they come back and who do they have to play? Swansea City or some other terrifying uh, outfit like that. It's, it's actually, the problem is, 
if you are kind of drained by having to play these Europa League games, then you're not suddenly able to compete with much stronger teams in the domestic league. I think that's a problem. I mean, they could go, they could take, take the approach that they literally play these games with their reserve team. I'm not sure we're quite at the point where uh, English teams' reserve sides are capable of making a big impact on the Europa League. But if I was in the Europa League, if I was managing a club in it, I might be tempted to go that way because it's just not a comp- it's, it's not a competition that the fans value in any way. And I think that's actually changed in the last few years. I mean, I remember a few years ago, Gary Mason was the manager of Bolton, and I think they were in the quarterfinal of the UEFA Cup, and he picked a like uh, weak inside. Martin O'Neill did something quite similar with Villa, saying, "Look, you know." We've got to get our priorities straight. And the reaction, particularly to Megson, was so bad. It was like, oh, Megson, you're so joyless. You don't understand anything about football. This is crazy. And the Bolton fans were really angry. When are we going to be in the quarterfinal of the UEFA Cup again? That's insane to throw it this way. But even but now, okay, maybe if they got to the quarterfinal, it might be like that. But the Europa League is just... The fans care about it so little that it's not really worth... Well, this is it. if you do get through the stages, then you're getting to the point of the season where you're really... Start, you have suspensions, you have in, injuries, and so I, th- I think it was the Villa one in particular. They did quite well in the group stages, if I remember, and it might have been the knockout stages that Martin O'Neill made that decision. I think it was, yeah. Yeah, uh, which seems totally counterintuitive, but if you look at it through the prism of the Premier League uh, and the club's ability to do anything in the Premier League, it probably makes a, a certain amount of sense. Jordan Ibe was out there for Liverpool yesterday. Uh, one of the most promising young English players could end up playing for Nigeria, though, if the Nigerian national team manager, Sunday Olise, has his way. We're joined to talk about this by Oluwashina Okaliji, who's a sports writer and broadcaster for the BBC in West Africa. You'll know him as a man who put the tough questions to Stephen Keshi during the World Cup, the then Nigeria manager. Oluwashina, it's great to talk to you uh, at long last. For, can I ask you, first of all, just about the return of the Premier League? I know West Africa is one of the biggest centres of interest in the Premier League outside the UK. Is there a lot of excitement that it's back? Absolutely. You only need to look at the um, first day or the opening day of the Premier League. Um, we had so many, we had so many fans from um, across Africa. They're really excited. The buzz is on, and everyone is excited. Um, Arsenal fans are still disappointed. They are still <laughs> they're still complaining. And Chelsea fans have actually been quiet as well. But like I said, excitement is buzzing, and people are really excited about the return of the English Premier League. It's something that annoys uh, people a little bit in Ireland. Uh, you say, for, for instance, fans, particularly of the domestic league, get annoyed that uh, so many people in Ireland are uh, interested in, well, you know, a foreign league. It's, you know, we should be interested in our own football and all that kind of thing. What's, what's the attitude on that question in Nigeria? Well, um, critics of the English Premier League in Africa, not just in Nigeria, have actually said um, fans have actually relegated um, domestic football, um, I mean, down below, and they've just taken over the English Premier League before. I think the advent of satellite television across Africa has actually given the people um, the, the desire to want to see more of English football. It's well packaged. It's well, you know, it's organized. And then there are so many African sons, players of African origin and, of course, African Africans all over um, the English Premier League. So that gives a lot of people the opportunity to want to, um, I mean, switch their allegiance from local football to international football. But listen, you cannot um, take it away. English football, as, as the English Premier League, has actually caught across the whole, the entire globe People are interested in the league because of the excitement, because of the hype that goes with it. Fans will always turn up for local games. I mean, when it concerns, say, Big Derby in Kano, where Kano Pillars is playing against their maybe one of their northern um, neighbours. People will always come. You get a 24,000 capacity. 
in Kano. But when it comes to ordinary league, the English Premier League has made the league suffer. A lot of people don't really come out to watch their leagues and all of that, and don't come out to watch domestic football anymore. But it can be done in a way such that people can bring, you can still bring back the fans to the field if you have to check your own, um, I mean, the fixtures. Don't ensure that he doesn't clash with the English Premier League. If he clashes with the Premier League, you will not get a, a full house when you're playing your local, local scene. Yeah, I think that's common sense. One of the players of African origin you mentioned is Jordan Ibe, who was playing for Liverpool yesterday. Now, Sunday Olise, the legendary Nigerian footballer, is managing the national team now. He's been in England trying to get Jordan Ibe to declare for, for the country of his family, I guess. Uh, it, is there a genuine prospect of, of Jordan Ibe turning down England to play for Nigeria, do you think? Well, first and foremost, um, Jordan Ibe. It's Ibe, not Ibe. Ah. Ibe. He, he calls himself Ibe, Ibe though. Ibe. He's, he's like anglicised yeah. his own name. Okay. He, he says, pronounce my name Ibe. But I was looking at his name. It looks like Ibe, right? Um, yeah, he has a Nigerian father. So that's why um, the surname is Ibe. Ibe could mean Ibe Chuku or something from the eastern eastern part of Nigeria. Now, the prospect of him turning down England is um, is a 50-50 one. You've got to explain to the young man how important it is to come and represent Nigeria. Look, you, do, you don't need to go too far. Tell him about Victor Moses. Tell him about Shola Amelbi, former England youth international, who turned out to um, switch their legends to Nigeria. Shola Amelbi, at the age of 32, went to the FIFA World Cup in 2014 when he thought all was, it was I mean, it was completely forgotten. It was in the international wilderness. For Jordan Ibe, what Molise um, has actually come out to say is we need to give the young man time to really think it through. We need to make him understand why it's important to, to play for Nigeria, not England. You've got to look at the history of older players who rejected Nigeria and, um, I mean, prefer to play with the uh, um, country of birth or, um, I mean, where they grew up and all of that. Look at Gabriel Agbolaon. Gabriel Agbolaon, Nigeria wanted him. He was eligible for Nigeria and Scotland, but he chose England. Where is he now? He's not figuring in the England um, national team setup. You've got to look at another player like, I mean, we, we, we have a whole, a whole lot of players that we can mention here, but specifically on Jordan Ibe. He has a more um, he has a bigger opportunity to make a successful international career if he chooses to play for Nigeria. That's the words of Stephen, um, sorry, Sunday Olise, the, the coach of Nigeria. Now, he said he had a good meeting with the boy. He's giving him time to think it through. He's giving him his plans. And now he figures inside his team. And he feels if Ibe chooses to play for Nigeria, it will be for the benefit of his own football career as well. It's a little bit like um, the situation in Ireland, I have to say, because we also have a lot of. Um, guys who are qualified to play for Ireland, they've got, you know, Irish parents or grandparents or whatever, but are born in England. Um, and we're always kind of hopeful that um, someone like Mark Noble, for instance, Mark Noble doesn't seem to feel the call of Ireland in his heart, I have to say, right? We're always kind of hopeful that these guys somehow feel a connection to, uh, you know, the land of their parents and so on. I wonder in Nigeria what people think of that. Is there kind of an expectation that someone like... For instance, Jordan Ibe or Jordan Ibe should should feel that connection to Nigeria, that he should kind of feel patriotic uh, about Nigeria, or is it, you know, I mean, what, what do people think about that? Well, uh, it's a divided opinion, yeah. I mean, you can't really gauge the true opinion of what the Nigerian fans feel. I think um, there are some people who say it will be it will be a great addition to the Super Eagle setup. Um, it will be um, uh, a good addition 
because based on what the coach has said, he said these players enjoy the best of training facilities all over the world where he's played football. He's traveled around, he's played in big leagues, and he will bring um potential it will be it will be it will be a great addition to the national squad. Yet there are critics of this decision to go for players who are born abroad to come and play for the Super Eagles because they, they believe um, they, they, the players in the domestic football or players who are born in Nigeria are, of, are, are from the disadvantaged angle. But Sunday Olise has come out to say this player like Chuba Akbom, you know, the Chuba Akbom from Arsenal who is on loan at All City, um, they, they can always follow the food. And also we have Alex Iwobi, Alex Iwobi from Arsenal as well. They are confident that this player can only follow in the footsteps of players I've mentioned earlier, like Victor Moses, like Shola Melbi, like Shone Aluko. You know, you have Sonia Aluko who is playing for Nigeria and the older sister, um, Eniola, is playing for England. They are saying uh, Jordan Ibe, Chuba Akbom, Alex Iwobi can enjoy a more prospect of playing international football with Nigeria. This is the idea they are trying to sell to some of those critics to say these players will be of great addition and they won't be a disadvantage to the country's football. Who doesn't want the best of talent? You want the best of talent to come in, but you need to convince the player. You need to let him understand uh, why he should come and play for Nigeria. That's why they are going through the appearance for and foremost, they are speaking to their parents and of course, they, from the parents, you can get an idea of what the player is thinking, the mindset of the player. If he doesn't feel Nigerian, then you let him go. We've, they, they, they let on live on his own. I mean, he chose to play for England. It was his decision. Does he regret it? Does he want to say, I'm still open for England call-up? That's his, own, that's his own business. He has to deal with that. But Nigerians are saying uh, they want the best of talent to play for Nigeria, but not um, the coach, um, I mean, um, relegating the, the local players who grew up here. So I think Jordan Ibe, people are op- optimistic that it will be a great addition to the national team as well. Alwashina, Sunday Elise is the man, as you mentioned there, in charge now. Stephen Keshi was the manager on, well, it seemed a few, okay? Every time we looked, he was either leaving the job or coming back into the job. He's the guy who you interviewed. We, we've played the clip again today, uh, interviewed at the World Cup when things weren't uh, going particularly well. What was the situation there? It seemed to be very unstable. He seemed to be in, in the job, out of the job, in the job again. Well, I think um, the problem with Stephen Keshi was um, he didn't know when to leave. Um, you could tell that his relationship with the NFF, um, he had a strained relationship with them the moment he won the African Cup of Nations. He verbally resigned. He came back after they talked him out of it and he returned. But he became too bigger for his employers. He became too big for the Nigerian Football Federation officials. And he didn't like that idea. The point is the success at the 2013 Nations Cup um, gave him, I mean, gave him um, the boldness and the, 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 I mean, like the confidence to talk to to talk down on the NFF, and he made big friends in, at the top level in government. So it was difficult for the NFF to actually control him. You should be the ones talking, and of course your employees should respect you. But it was the other way around. Everyone expected him to leave at the end of that World Cup in um, in, in Brazil because his contract. Was I mean, his contract ended with the World Cup. But he chose to return, and the NFL didn't want that. And it was like they imposed Stephen Keshi on the Nigerian Football Federation because they didn't want him anymore. It was difficult. The relationship was, 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 was difficult for the team. It was difficult for the players. It was difficult for um, the officials. It was even difficult for Stephen Keshi himself because it was difficult to get the backing to, to sack him or to let him go. So they gave him a new contract, and he, 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 at the end of the day, they looked for a clause in his contract. He was fired. And the, the marriage ended in a very bitter divorce because now he's gone, to, he's gone to court. He wants compensation. He wants this. He wants that. 
it's sad from hero to zero that's the story of Stephen Keshi with Nigeria the relationship was good everything was fine in the beginning and then everything just went down right now people are saying um Sunday Ulisse can 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 bring back um the super eagles um swag i mean they're saying this is the swagger they said the super eagles used to play with swagger that nowadays the super eagles play with fear but in Stephen in um Sunday Ulisse they believe this is a man a former Nigeria captain like Stephen Keshi a man who can bring the eagles back and he can make them fly again Stephen Keshi is jobless now. He wants compensation. But right now in Nigeria, it's history. People don't talk about him anymore. If they only talk about him, they only ridicule him and say, you cannot get $5 million from the NFL. You won't even get a dime from the NFL because you messed up totally and you should have gone when you had the opportunity to leave. Yeah, it certainly sounds like you're not a fan of Keshi Oluwashina. And we could see that in, the, in those interviews. You were asking him very direct questions. How did, um, did that affect the relationship between you and Keshi? How, when the cameras stopped rolling, how did Keshi react to your questions? No, I mean, we still, we still talk. We do. Um, there's a difference when you're doing your job. This is the man who's actually... Um, he, the, 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 the thing is, I realized before the World Cup that Stephen Keshi was playing the media. He chose the question you need to ask him. He tell them what he wants to hear. If you ask him a question that he feels he consider very tough, he will he will make he will ridicule you or he will say something um, naive from a national team manager. And it was difficult for a lot of people to deal with him. And um, this is someone I've known from when he was manager of Togo. We have a good relationship. I respect him. He respects me. But when it comes to the job, you've got to ask him the questions that millions of people in Nigeria, all over Africa, they want answers to. So I put this to him. Maybe he wasn't, maybe he was the heat of the moment. Sometimes he reacts angrily. But once the camera is over, he comes and he says, you naughty boy, you stubborn boy and all that. We're still friends. But am I a fan of Stephen Keshi? I was a fan of Stephen Keshi. I was a fan of Stephen Keshi um, when he was manager of Togo, when he was manager of Mali. I was a fan of Stephen Keshi because I didn't like the way they treated him at the Nations Cup because he needed the support of the Federation. They didn't give it to him. They were talking to another manager in the middle of the tournament. It was disrespect and it was disrespectful to the man. But the moment the man started disrespecting not just the media, even his own players, you pick fights with the players, you're using the media to fight the players. That's that's unprofessional. That's unprofessional. And you can't tell me what question you want me to ask you. I'll ask you questions that I feel a lot of people want answers to. So that was the relationship between me and him. I spoke to him when he, re- when he left. I confirmed if he actually wanted $5 million compensation. He said, of course, his legal team, they are fighting for him to get what is due to him and what he deserves. And he's going to get it. So if, uh, if we had fallen out, I'm not sure the man will pick up my call and talk to me. I just feel um, he will learn his own lessons like other coaches before him. And he will come back a better and stronger manager than, than he left. Okay, well, we love the interviews. And it's great to finally talk to you, Oluwashina Okaliji. Thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me on your show, guys, and um, enjoy the rest of your week. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Richie Sadler's here. Richie, how are you? How are you, lads? How are you, lads? Richie, how are you, lads? How are you doing this week? I'm marvellous. Look at the joy on my face. Look how happy I was. What the fuck happened? (laughs) No, really. You know, what happened? When John was young, everyone in the city... Knew about it, but that was the thing. You know? It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's persuaded of the world outside of that. That's why sports important. All right, what a great guy! I have to say, I really enjoyed that chat. Oliver standing by his interviews with Keshi. He did say maybe in the heat of the moment he. <laughs> <laughs> he, he got involved a little bit, but uh, certainly Keshi sounds like a man who 
has an unhealthy amount of power or something he did in Nigerian <laughs> football circles. Just made, made his own decisions there. I didn't realise that it was him. It was his own indecision. We were saying, well, should I stay? Should I go? I'm not really sure. I'll go back in now. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Is it just that. me or does it sound like the relationship between Ottawa Sheena and Stephen Keshi? Sounds, there's, there's a few hints of that in the Martin O'Neill, Tony O'Donoghue relationship. If you ever see those post-match interviews. Which yeah, well, there's certainly, there's been a couple of barbed exchanges Will there. Tony O'Donoghue end up on a Nigerian podcast talking about his interviews with Martin O'Neill someday? <laughs> he, well, he, I don't know if he's pushed it. I don't know if he's, if he's pushed it as far as he could push it. Mm. I mean, uh, there, for instance, I saw in St. Petersburg, that was the most recent um, edition of the Tony O'Donoghue-Martin O'Neill relationship. And didn't he... He asked a question about Martin, to Martin O'Neill, which was essentially something to do with O'Neill's future. And O'Neill said, "Ah, oh, Tony, you know, you've, yeah, we've t- we talked about that at some length just a couple of days ago. This was, I think, uh, around the FAI AGM. Essentially, O'Neill was arguing, I've, I've already talked to you about that. Nice try, Tony, but we're not going to go there just yet. And uh, now if Tony O'Neill had come back at him then aggressively... Right, if he'd ignored, if he ignored the warning tone in Martin O'Neill's voice, but had come back instead aggressively and redoubled the attack, then, then we might have had something, which would in a couple of years' time lead to Tony Donahue on radio in Nigeria going, uh, "Well, I'll tell you about myself and Martin O'Neill." <laughs> I'm going to go f- with Oluwashina's interpretation of Jordan eBay's surname. But you're, oh yeah, you're confident in Jordan Ibe's. Well, uh, do you want to hear what Jordan Ibe has to say? Will we hear Jordan Ibe? I know there's been confusion with how you pronounce my name. I pronounce my name, Jordan Ibe. Of course, just because Jordan Ibe calls himself Jordan Ibe doesn't mean that he's right. I mean... Martin Keown, anyone? Martin Keown, um, Gary Cahill. You know what I mean? It's possible to have, uh, to anglicise your own name. I mean, I don't know whether it's for reasons of convenience or, you know, I mean, uh, sometimes... Enough people people sometimes even change the spelling of their name. You know, Irish people who, who have the kind of Irish name that every time they say, they have to say their name to an English person, they then have to spell the name. Sometimes they just adopt a completely different name. Well, certainly my spelling of my first name changes. Depending you, on oh, do you change your... You, I sometimes you, go you for an O-W, uh, Yes, I sometimes do that. My, da- my dad actually did it. My dad is a Kieran. I don't mean I write it down as that. I mean... Oh, my dad. My dad's a Kieran. Kieran with the, you know, your, yeah. the same way as yours, but with a father and all that kind of stuff. Over in Starbucks, you know, say Starbucks in London. If you go into a Starbucks in London, what's your name? Uh, Kieran. Sorry, mate. Uh, yeah, I mean, they do have a major problem with my name for whatever reason. Yeah, but and, he, so he, he, I, he I would anglicise it then. I suppose I would. Yeah. He became like uh, you know the way Kieran Dyer spells it, oh, just yeah. for just for English English consumption. Mm-hmm. You know, they just they sometimes they show you've got to adapt to them. The you know Muhammad has to go to the mountain on this one. Let's just say. Murph, you met an Irish international over the weekend? Uh, well, I, he breezed past me in we- the Crow Park Hotel yesterday. Stephen Hunt. Oh, yeah. Uh, we know, of course, of his hurling pedigree. We saw it on our TV show last, uh, last series. The man has game. But he breezed past me uh, yesterday. Um, he was wearing uh, chinos, some very natty shoes, and a dark, uh, dark uh, kind of uh, uh, sports jacket. Yeah, and I was like, you know, the the ensemble was very nicely put together. So how could you possibly what color? What color chino? Accessory. I'm gonna say it was he. He. It was literally a flash. I was okay. gonna say beige, but he might be listening to this, and he's like, you know, my pants are white, man. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. But um, he breezes past me, and you know these little ribbons 
they're the most understated way of of, uh, of uh, outlining your support at a GA game. So it's just little bits of thread, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, the blue and white for Watford or whatever. You know, I, I see a lot of TV pundits say interviewed a halftime in the Ireland hurling final, and they don't really know what to do with this. So I've seen quite a few just like tie them loosely mm-hmm. as if it's a tie mm-hmm. around. A, it doesn't look very good. Yeah. So Stephen Hunt obviously knows this. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. What he did was he actually bundled up one of those ribbons and wore it as kind of a little... Pocket square. As a pocket square. And I was like, that. That's, that's how you do that's it. That's, that's how you do it. So if you're, if you're rocking a particularly natty outfit to Crow Park over the next coming weeks, take a leaf out of the book of Hunt. We've already put out an action-packed first podcast of the week. Kieran, do you want to back uh, sell it, forward sell it? Oh, God. Well, what, we've got Shane Lowry. And his amazing victory to WGC. We didn't speak to Shane Lowry as I'm We're hoping, covering Shane, I'm hoping Lowry. Shane Lowry is taking it nice and handy this morning. Yes, I'm sure that he is. This morning, his time. Uh, we have uh, Owen Kelly on the Iron Hurling semi final. Disappointment for Stephen Hunt. Uh, Ushin and Moilesy take a look at Tyrone some and their good, unbelievable. Some good stuff on Tyrone there. Uh, yeah, we didn't Tyrone hold fans. back on the uh, cynicism and the, uh, well, the diving and the hatefulness and all the rest. Mm-hmm. And uh, we also had Jerry Thorny in studio about the uh, Ireland Wales game uh, with just three warm up games to go before <laughs> the first three games of the World Cup, uh, which is then, and then we have a really important game. But hey, listen, it's all good, Owen, it's all good. Uh, thanks very much for listening do rate us subscribe to us listen to us just do whatever you want to us there on iTunes we won't have mind. your filthy <laughs> way, your with, way us. with us on iTunes we'll talk to you again soon take care what is that that's the second time it's gone off they never go home they never go home they never go home those, those, those boys